The next minute I seen the guys running back the deck and they had boat hooks and Jesus. And I thought they were going to kill me, you know, because it just dawned on me, what am I have to do? And I jumped from their boat to the boat I was fishing in, which was the Roman spot. I'd say I broke the long jump. <laughs> It all began on April the 2nd, 1966. A fishing boat came into Dingle Harbour carrying on deck a fish that would cause a bit of a stir. Ahead, a day full of surprises. On the pier, a teenager who would cause mayhem for the boat's captain. Down the end of the pier, a publican with a biscuit tin. On the other side of the county, a group of enclosed nuns were about to get a phone call because of the boat. Up in Dublin, Eamon de Valera, the president, who was about to make a decision because of the boat. Over in London, Queen Elizabeth, who probably never heard of Dingle, but would be raising at last to the place. Up in Belfast, a fish and chip shop in loyal East Belfast that was somehow connected to Republican Dingle through that same Queen Elizabeth. But none of this mattered to the skipper of the boat. Among the commoner garden fish he usually came in with, he had a beautiful specimen of a rarely seen and much sought after fish. The skipper was one of the best in Dingle. Other boats followed him because of his instincts. But even for him, this catch was special. All he had to do now was keep it alive and get it ashore safely. However, if that had happened, there'd be no Dingle Sturgeon story. My name is Ricky, Ricky O'Cahan from Dingle. I just want to just tell you briefly the story about the sturgeon, which has been handed on to me to my father and other guys who've been spelling it. It's been told all over a few pints. The Dingle Sturgeon story. Ricky Kane thinks the whole world should hear it. It's probably one of the better stories of, of fishing gone by in Dingle, but... I'm sorry, I just... I just... i call you back in a minute. Ricky Kane is a good man to talk to about fish in Dingle. After all, he runs a fish factory, and it's a pretty complex operation. So those machines you really don't need anybody on them. They're, they actually work away themselves. Those guys are just there checking to see the fish are going in right. A tanker pulls up at the back door and the fish are sucked out of it through huge pipes. Different grades go to different countries and, you know, the Germans like the smaller fish and, and the Africans like the bigger fish, so that's, we have to grade it out for them accordingly. That's the way it works. Ricky has all these fish in his factory but no sturgeon. The only sturgeon he has here is in his office. What I'm holding my hand here is a picture of this sturgeon that was caught on that famous day. An old black and white photo, and you can see it on our website. It shows two men in dark suits standing on the old pier. That's the old key wall here, and the pier came down this way. And between them, they're holding up a long, thin fish. It's just over half the length of their bodies, with sharp fins and tail 
and a nasty-looking mouth. A sturgeon, where we get caviar from. I suppose it's hard to equate it because of the old money and all the rest of it, but it would be something, the fish would have made something in the region of two to three thousand euros. The man on the right in the photo is Ricky's dad. He was Michael Kane, he was the Mihalokoin, he was the, the manager of the Fishermen's Cooperative at the time. He's smiling away. That fish is worth a lot of money. The other guy who got the surgeon. The man on the left, the fisherman who caught it, he's not smiling that much. But if he knew what was going to happen to his fish, he'd be smiling even less. The picture was taken in 1966, and both men are now dead. It was a dingle of an era gone by. Long before the Celtic Tiger game, or the one before that as well. And are those houses still there? Um, some of them are still there. No, a lot of them are not, no. These ones are still here, look. These six or seven houses are still mm-hmm. here. There's nothing down there. This nothing. is where your factory is, is. Yeah, we're here, no. We're here, it's all built up. This is the aquarium here. There was a technical college there. This is the, it's the aquarium there, no. I better bring the photograph. Ricky takes the photo out of his office, around to a few people in Dingle, who'll help him tell the sturgeon story. But uh, as you can see now, it's all... It's a different Dingle from the one that you can see in the photograph. These were all fishing houses along gold. These are all curing houses. They secure mackerel and, and, and salt mackerel and, and tearing and all these houses along here. They've all big yards up at the back of them. These were all, this was all part of the fishing business now. No, there was no tourists available. You couldn't even get a, a sandwich in Dingle in the 50s. Now, we're going to pass here now on the left, Brosnan's house. That's, but they've, they've turned their house into a tourist shop as well now, you can see it. They're lacquerie, that, that house. That's the house that that man in the photograph came from. That house there. We're going to John Francis now. Ricky takes the photo of the sturgeon to a retired fisherman, John Francis. John Francis was a teenager in 1966. He's not in the picture of the two men and the fish. And if he had been, he would have got a clip in the ear for himself. John, how are you? Have you seen this photograph? I've seen that. You've seen that one? Yeah. John Francis started fishing in the early 60s. When he first went out in the water, he hated it. I was fishing when I was 14 and a half. My father died when we were very young, so it was, I had to leave school and go fishing then. God, it was, it, I was sick for three months, I'd say. God almighty, it, it, it was tough, yeah, because 14 and a half was so young, you know. I wasn't used to the rocking and trying to get your sea legs and all that, you know. We'd be shooting lobster pots and you'd be getting sick and top of the lobster pots thrown about, you know. <laughs> there was a lot of times you'd be very happy when you were coming in Tingled Harbour. <laughs> you'd go down on one knee and bless yourself like the Pope. This was long before the harbour was redeveloped and Charlie Hawhey had helped build the marina. At low water, the fishing boats had to moor out in the harbour and fish had to be brought in using punts. Fishing had changed little and the old fishermen still stuck to curious old habits. In the olden days when we were fishing first, there was pishogs. You, know, you could never talk about rabbits or foxes or hares, anything like that. And some guys who were blackguards, you know, they used to throw a dead fox into the into the punt, you know. And the old fishermen, no way would they go fishing it. If they seen this, <laughs> they were full of fish oaks. Mickey Flannery, he nearly killed me for mentioning the word bacon. 
Whatever about being killed over pishrogues, superstitions, the young John Francis was nearly killed the day of the sturgeon, all because of him doing one of the silliest things he ever did in his life. It began with that boat coming into Dingle Harbour with the strange catch on board. Now, that wasn't unusual in Dingle. They landed all sorts of strange catches. We picked up two propellers of American planes. They got folded up in our nets and we brought them in and we gave them to a museum. Yeah, we kind of had a boot another day and a, and a guy's leg inside it. Just get it over there. Yeah. Back in near the Blaskets, I think we were we were fishing, and you got a lot of specimens and different types of specimens over the years as well. Rare specimens, you know. One I had in here was a stone crab. I think that's above the National Museum in Dublin. The skipper of the boat with the strange haul was Joe Welsh, and like the other fishermen, he had a daily routine. When he landed his catch, he headed off to meet a man who had nothing to do with the business of fishing. In fact, he was a publican. A publican with a passion. They'd come in every evening and they'd go into Mikey Long's. That was a pub where John Binney is down the head of the pier. And they'd go in there and they'd discuss everything Mikey Long. Any fish that looked different... And he would look them up in his book. He was great. What would you call him? Naturalist? He had a huge collection of stuff that he used to send up to the Natural History Museum. And he'd give the fishermen a pint if they got something weird or wonderful or unusual. So the fishermen were keeping a lookout because they mightn't even make the price of the pint for the day because the price of fish they were getting nothing for. But at least they were guaranteed if they got something weird and wonderful, they brought it into him and they had a pint for the evening before they went home. So they always were on the lookout. Mikey Long was a great man for uh, sending all these little things up to the museum in Dublin. Kevin Flannery does it now. Kevin Flannery, who has inherited Mikey Long's passion for strange fish, is the director of the aquarium in Dingle. Mikey used to have a, a biscuit tin and he'd put some of the crustaceans or fish into it and you'd see them moving and he taught me various things like that. I'd say 84% of the natural history collection has come from Dingle and the Dingle Bay area. There was no aquarium on April the 2nd, 1966, when the boat came in with the weird-looking fish. The skipper, Joe Welsh, had an idea what it was, but he got the public and Mikey Long to have a look at it. A long, almost prehistoric-looking fish with an ugly face and a beautiful body. He identified it as a sturgeon, which is a very rare fish, a very valuable fish. It's the fish that produces the caviar, the beluga caviar, the expensive one. Ricky brings his photograph of the two men holding the sturgeon to an older woman in Dingle, a widow, but she has her own photos from the time to show him. I never saw that photograph before. I never saw that one before. I have other ones. I never saw. I have to give a print to it. I've never seen that one. No, that's my sister. I'm Maureen Welch, and I'm Joe Welch's wife. Maureen couldn't get down to the harbour that day to see the alien fish her husband had caught. Well, I was minding the kids. 
somebody had to mind the kids. <laughs> they were small. <laughs> and to tell the truth, I never heard of a student before. <laughs> I've heard of Merkel, I've heard of Herrings, I heard the con and all this thing, but a student I never heard of. <laughs> Maureen's husband Joe had three other fishermen with him on his boat that day. James Sheehy, though, is the sole survivor of the crew of the boat. Well, this fish was a that, That's 1966. Most of the yeah. And we kept it alive all year, as we could. We could uh, have sacks around it and put in the hole at the top of it. The sacks were hosed down constantly to keep the fish alive, while onlookers and other fishermen gathered for a gawk. We were pulled up on the other side of the pier and Joe was across the head of the pier and we were just on the western side. I just walked into the boat and uh, I was looking and looking at the fish and they had wet bags over him and keeping him alive. They look weird kind of fish, you know, with the snout. He's right. The fish has a disdainful, downturned mouth, a sharp snout and a wispy beard under the chin. Kevin Flannery, he has sturgeons back there now. These are your sturgeon. See the beautiful creatures. Very, very old. Cross between a fish. You can see the scales, fantastic scales on the outside. It's only when you see the sturgeon in the tank in the Dingle Aquarium that you realise that the beard is actually feelers. That they use for going along the bottom in the mud because basically most of the rivers are totally um, black or brown because of the runoffs. It strokes the stones at the bottom of the tank. Feeling for worms or anything that will be in the detritus along the bottom of the rivers. You can see the scales, fantastic scales on the outside. Looks very much like snakeskin. You'd see like the fellas making handbags or boots out of it because you have the diamond-shaped scales, see? Beautiful diamond-shaped scales along the body. We've only two rivers left, I think, in Europe where they're still native and indigenous. They're one of our, I would say, very rare species that's left in Europe that we haven't wiped out, and they are seriously endangered. Despite the fact that they're endangered, there are farmed sturgeon around, and available in the strangest places for people like Kevin to buy. There was a man who was a serious enthusiast of collecting fish, and I seen him advertising, saying he was selling sturgeon. And it was on Dundee or one of those papers. And I said, in Ireland, selling sturgeon, unlikely. So I rang him and he emailed me a photograph. And there I found him in Clonmel, an ex-jockey who had gone seriously into kayak carp and uh, collecting fabulous live fish that he sells on. And I found them in the middle of Clonmel in his back garden that he had closed in his back garden inside an estate and had these fabulous fish growing in there. He got them in from England, who, some guy in England who got them in from France. And that's how I found them. And that's why we have them on display. They're a fantastic looking species. I mean, they're absolutely beautiful looking, totally different than anything you'll ever see. Whatever about its looks... The sturgeon has a good reason for its sneering mouth and haughty demeanour. It's a royal fish. And by that I mean it was declared a royal fish back in the 1400s, I think. That and whales. And if they were caught or washed ashore, they had to be given to the king or the queen. 
And there is, through the records and history records, going back from bishops in Derry to various lords and chieftains, and they're refusing to pass them on to their kings and earls. Now, having to give the king or queen any sturgeon that you caught, that might be all very well in the 15th century, but there's no way it would stand up in the 20th century. Like, you'd presume that Queen Elizabeth isn't sitting over there in Buckingham Palace waiting until she hears about some fishing boat landing a sturgeon and then asking one of her staff to phone up and getting them to hand it over. Well, if you presume that about Buckingham Palace, you'd presume wrong. Step into a fish and chip shop in East Belfast. Captain Cods. It's opposite the entrance to Stormont. I have fresh cod, fresh haddock and fresh smoked cod. And they come in every day. Back in 1988, the owner, John O'Hara, was given a sturgeon that had been landed in Kilkeel. That colonel boy from Buckingham Palace rang me up and he said, do you realise you're breaking all the rules and regulations? I said, not really, we were given it. So he says, you'll have to send it over. So we packed it nice and sent it over to Buckingham Palace. Then a package came to the fish shop with a letter. The letterhead was from Buckingham Palace. It's from Lieutenant Colonel Blair Stuart Wilson, quite a name, Buckingham Palace. Her Majesty was most grateful to you for offering the 18-pound sturgeon, which was recently caught and supplied to you. But on this occasion, we would be pleased if you would retain it to make whatever use you want of it. Her Majesty has asked me to tell you that she would be grateful if you could pass on her congratulations on the catch to Mr Gilbert McBride and crew of his boat, Natalie Rose, Deputy Master of the Household. The fish was stuffed and now hangs over the deep fat friars, looking down on the fresh smoked cod and battered haddock. Mm-hmm. Do people ask you questions about it? Okay, yeah, it's a curiosity piece. I think it's a big fish we are battering. <laughs> They're an ugly looking fish, aren't they? Oh, a bit like myself. <laughs> the customers in Captain Cods think it's appropriate that the fish is here in East Belfast. It's a royal fish in the right area, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird thing, isn't it? That's a good yes. spot, yes. East Belfast. East Belfast. Yeah, right beside Stormont. <laughs> the royal fish right beside Stormont. Right beside Stormont, this way. Back in Dingle in 1966, someone, presumably Mikey Long, knew that the sturgeon under the wet sacks would have to be given to the Queen. Ricky Kane from the fish factory says that news didn't go down too well. Jane, you there was a big commotions anyway, and uh, of course we were a republic, and there was a bit of republicans around the area that decided there'd be no fish caught to the, the Queen of England, but we'll give it to the head of state. So somebody had a contact with the aide de camp of the president. They contacted him, and, the, and he was very grateful for this fish which was about to be offered up to him, uh, this rare fish, and he was very, very... Very grateful and quite happy to, to, to accept it. Between the jigs and the reels, they thanked him for the fish. But I suppose because of his Catholic connections at the time, he decided to donate the fish to the poor Clares in Kinmere. 
little wood. It was at the back of the old convent, and uh, it was painted by, I think it was a brother, one of the old sisters oh, okay. long ago. They were very into art and right. lace and all that kind of culture. <laughs> Where was the old convent from here? Attached to the church over there. Sister Assumpta is a poor Clare nun in Kenmare, 45 miles away from Dingle. We used to make holy badges that time, you know. Scapulars and things like that? No, we maybe cut pictures out of calendars or out of Christmas cards and embellish them with little bits of sequins and ribbons and things. And we used to make little things too for the missions. I remember they used to be sent off to sisters who had sales of work for the missions, a little... Um, Baby's matiny coats or um, bits embroidered. We embroider little tray cloths and things like that. The Kenmare nun's connection with the president dated from 1961 when he attended the centenary celebrations commemorating their arrival into the town. We met him in the convent parlour. There were photographs taken and all the rest of it. He visited us then another time. He just happened to be passing through in the car. And at that stage we were allowed out for a walk in the local area. And uh, some two or three of the sisters were walking along the road and this big car pulled up and uh, he made his driver take them in and drove back to the convent and we met him again. Actually, the four youngest of us danced the four and reeled for him that day, you know. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> but were you in full wimple well, and we all the way down to your right? Four and reel is uh, very basic steps. Then, I presume it was a phone call from Dublin, that's, I suppose from Horace Nukteron, that this surgeon had been caught in Dingle Bay and was being sent to us. So um, there was a bit of excitement about seeing a surgeon. I heard they invited the local Monsignor and the parish priest and everybody over for a big feast of this sturgeon, which was about to arrive, and compliments of, of the fishermen in Dingle but they didn't get the sturgeon they were, they were anticipating. The sturgeon was still on the deck of the boat in Dingle. Remember, it was a big deal. Not only was it exotic looking, it was valuable. It would be worth between two and three thousand euros in today's money. Someone had called the local newspaper, the Kerryman, who were sending a photographer out to get a snap of the fish before it went off to the nuns. But neither the photographer nor the nuns would get a look at the sturgeon that day. <laughs> Which was just a, mis- a bit of misunderstanding in the boat by a young filly, Sean Francis. There was a big crowd up on the pier hoping to get a glimpse of the fish, while down on the boat, fishermen were coming from other boats for a look. One of those was the teenage fisherman, John Francis. Eddie Moore, I remember, he, he hit wet bags over him, keeping the fish alive. And John Francis was in the boat, because all the young lads came to the boat the same night, they could go to see the rare fish. Yeah. And then there was a few people on top of the pier and looking down into the boat. And uh, that fellow said, T- 
there wasn't the key. Throw yeah. it out. Yeah. And of course, there was a few more starting to say it. Throw him out here. Throw him out. And they meant throw him out in the pier. And Judd Francis touched just throw it out in the water. <laughs> Within that split second, I just made a stupid decision. The young fella bent down to the fish, lifted it up on his arms, and turned him out off the side. For a moment, there was silence, and then a groan from the crowd. Oh my God. When the fish got in the water, do you know what he did? He swam. <laughs> I looked up and that all I could see was open mouths and a guest. <laughs> and the fish was uh, to like fat lighting with the language. What is he after doing? And next minute I seen the guys running back the deck and they had boat hooks and Jesus. And I thought they were going to kill me. Anyway. And I jumped from, from their boat to the boat I was fishing in, which was the Roman Swan. I'd say I broke the long jump. <laughs> They were around with um, with nets and everything trying to catch them afterwards around the harbour, wouldn't they? Yes, they yeah. Were, there was a big commotion. <laughs> it must be unreal, I think. It was very funny. They were all Sunday morning around the harbour with a small punt and they're trying to locate the, the, the sturgeon. The tide was very low. There were no threats around. They think we should swim away. Oh, I got some slagging over that, yeah. <laughs> I felt awful, but you're... I didn't do it intentionally. Joe Welch, the skipper, wasn't even on the boat. He could just look on helplessly from the pier as the catch of his career swam away. Well, the, the tide was so low that he couldn't get down to get me. <laughs> He'd have killed me. Oh, my God, he was gone mad. He wasn't. Well, that's a, I take him to think anyway. I don't think he was put down to over, but he said it was a t- uh, misfortune. Misfortune. Why, why wasn't he angry about it? Oh, no, I suppose people was constant more than angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't know what. What could we do? That's what we say, that man. Peter Dangwood always was. The first the fish was gone. In the story. But it wasn't the end of the story. Not for Michal Kane, anyway. As manager of the Dingle Fisherman's Co-op, he handled the fish from the fishermen, and by now, he should have been shipping a beautiful wild sturgeon down to the poor Clare nuns at Kenmare, courtesy of the President of Ireland. And there was a lot of hassle then ensued when the fish was gone missing. My father, I think, came up with the brainwave that 
okay, we didn't have the sturgeon, but we'll look in lieu of the sturgeon, we'll send them down a nice bag of black sole and cod and fish which they'd appreciate as well, they're enjoying, maybe they mightn't know the difference. But anyway, I suppose, the next part of the story was where the, it got quite funny when another boat arrived in quite late in the evening. The crowd had drifted away from the pier while a few fishermen were still going around the harbour in punts, hoping that the sturgeon that John Francis had liberated was still around. And then John Brosnan came in. And he said, jeez, they have a strange looking fish as well. And... He had a sturgeon. Was it the same day? Same day. The same day. That evening. The same day. It wouldn't be the same. But it's the same place. I don't know whether they're probably fishing the same ground. Jim says it wasn't just Mother B like it that was cut, but you saw layers. But but apparently I heard that that your Joe's Joe's sturgeon was double the size of the second one. Yeah, it was way bigger. I heard. Yeah, much bigger fish. Yes. The day was saved. After the John Francis fiasco, the Dingle fishermen still had a sturgeon to present to the president. But none of the fishermen believed that that was going to happen because of the man who caught the second sturgeon, John Brosnan. John was a lovely man, really. Yeah. Gosh, that's gorgeous, isn't it? a lovely picture. I've never seen that picture. I'm sure. No, never. John Brosnan's daughter Eileen is looking at Ricky's photo of her dad holding the sturgeon. Oh, I had a copy of it sometime. The one that was to go to the president, but would never get there, because of who the fisherman was and who the president was. He might have given to the president because the president was De Valera. De Valera had a complicated relationship with Kerry. He may have been welcomed by the nuns in Kenmare with a forehand reel, but he had been stoned during an election rally in Cahar Savine. A local IRA man had been executed for killing a Garda during the emergency while Dev was Taoiseach. Also during the emergency, thousands of Republicans had been interned in the Curragh by Dev's Fianna Fáil government, many of them from Kerry. John Bruston had Republican tendencies in for want of a better way. And he was interned in the Second World War and in the 50s by De Valera. So he said it isn't it's going to go to De Valera. <laughs> They're all his thing, right? <laughs> well, my, my dad, uh, he actually was a very humble man and he never said anything as such in that sense. He never really looked for notoriety. Yeah. And I didn't know until you told me this morning that it actually was going to go to the poor players. As far as I know, Michal Kane did not give the sturgeon to the poor St. Clairs. At that time, there was a rail connection between Dingle and Kenmare. Sister Assumpta was teaching in the school and remembers the delivery from Dingle. I remember the crate coming 
on the, the train. Our farmyard gate actually was across the road from this railway station. And uh, then the realisation that it wasn't the sturgeon. The fish that was in the crate, what was it? As far as I remember, a cod. That's Unless now that the joke went on, that they, that they codded us. But it's, that was what was always mentioned anyway, was cod. Oh, was that a big deal to get cod? I don't think it would have been. They would have been wiser than that. Uh, there, was, there were a lot of fishermen around Kinmare at that time, and uh, there was one man, actually, and the first salmon of the year, he always sent to the convent. For his, you know, the first salmon he caught, he always brought it into the convent to the sisters. So that was better than the dingle fishermen sending over the old cod, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> surely. So, Dev and the nuns weren't going to get the sturgeon. It could be sold, maybe in Ireland, maybe in London. A decision would have to be made. Plenty of discussion for the fishermen in Mikey Long's pub. The sturgeon story and that decision would provide some small distraction in the difficult times ahead. There were bad days. There were some bad days. Just after the sturgeons were caught in 1966, fishing in Dingle went into a decline as Ireland joined the European common market. John Francis, for example, the teenager who threw the first sturgeon back into the water, he eventually got his own boat, a large ocean-going trawler. It was great. I love fishing. I, I love the challenge. Every day is a different day. It's not boring, let's put it that way. You're not sitting in an office all day and doing the same thing every day. And why did you come out of it? With the big boat I had, I would have to break the quota. Joining the EU meant we sacrificed fishing quotas for farming benefits. This was crazy. They never realised the potential of the sea. But there was hope for Dingle from two unlikely sources. From the director of Bridge on the River Kwai, Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago. Behind John Francis in his house on the wall is a poster for the 1970 feature film Ryan's Daughter, A Story of Love. It was shot on the Dingle Peninsula and starred Robert Mitchum and Sarah Miles. They came off the film. The stills. John has still photographs from the production. My mum was in it. We had a Sarah Miles' stand-in thing in our home. What more are you wanting now? I don't know that either. That's a lie. It's not. The spectacular scenes of the peninsula kick-started a tourist industry in the area. That was compounded in 1983 by the arrival into the harbour of another exotic sea creature, fungi, a dolphin. Suddenly there he was, and what a magnificent sight. He circled the boat with great ease, and it immediately became apparent that he was as anxious as we were to make contact. You know, he brings a lot of happiness and delight to people, you know. John Francis had had to give up his trawler, but he was able to give paying tours out to fungi. Yeah, we, we used to do the swimming with him. Some people are sick and they're looking for cures and more people with depression, you know. The tourism that came from the movie and the dolphin helped another fishing family, that of John Brosnan, the fisherman who wouldn't give a sturgeon to Dev. His daughter Eileen is still in the family home on the quay, but it's no longer a fisherman's house. Instead, it's a craft shop for tourists. 
shoppers lacquery and uh, Irish crafts and gifts. Foxford rugs, uh, Henley's rugs and a Volca and scarves and so on. And then they get comatose because the temperature of the water drops and they get washed ashore on the west coast of Ireland. Mikey Long's biscuit tin grew into something spectacular. I used to start out, I'd put them in the bath at home and raise the temperature one degree every night, every day. And once they come up to Mikey was the publican who bought all the strange species that the Dingle fishermen caught and sent them to the museum in Dublin. Kevin Flannery took his cue from Mikey and campaigned to build one of Dingle's main tourist attractions, the aquarium. Sharks. This is a shark tank with the big sand tigers from South Africa. We also have a turtle. This is your turtle that gets washed ashore. We keep the tank 21 degrees all year round. There's over 350 tons. You see the fillet there? That's your typical herring. You know? that, that, that fish is going for marinade, you know. And Ricky Kane took over his dad's business. Just after the sturgeon was caught, Michal left the co-op and set up a fish factory. We do about 150, 200 tons of fish a day here, most days. Ricky says the business is holding steady, mainly because the fish stocks are being managed well. Can you get rich doing this? Rich? You'll never get rich in the fish business, you just make a good living. You live well, you work hard, you live well, that's it. What would your dad think about this? Oh, I, I, I don't know, I'd hope he'd be so way proud of us anyway that we kept the tradition going and we're still at it. And so we didn't jump in and start building houses in the, in the Celtic Tiger era. We stuck with what we knew, and I think it proved, it proved us wise, you know. It was that kind of wisdom that was needed back in 1966 when it came to dealing with the second sturgeon. By some ancient law, it was supposed to go to the head of state. But the man who caught it, John Brosnan, refused to do that because the head of state was his old enemy, Eamon de Valera. So Ricky's father, the manager of the fisherman's co-op, asked John what he wanted to do. He says, I want my fishes to go for the highest price. So my father at the time had a good connection, a good customer of his in Billingsgate. Billingsgate, the famous fish market in London. John Brosnan's sturgeon went there and got a good price. From there, it could have gone to any top restaurant in London to be eaten by anonymous diners. Well, apparently not. According to the story, the way it's told in Dingle, John Brosnan's sturgeon didn't end up on an anonymous plate at all. The irony of the whole thing was a fellow called Mick over in Billingsgate bought it and presented it to the Queen after your man refused to give it to de Valera and it finished up with the Queen. <laughs> and no, unlike the East Belfast fish shop, Queen Elizabeth over in Buckingham Palace didn't have second thoughts and send John Brosnan Sturgeon back and neither did she get one of her colonels to write a letter on fancy paper. And can you imagine John Brosnan's reaction? Whatever about the fish going to Dev? The Queen of England? What did he say when he found out? I don't think it would have gone down too well if he found out at the time about it. I don't think he, would, he did, no. I think he kept it He kept it under wraps. He spoke about it afterwards, maybe about ten years after the event, and it was part of one has been quite funny. Those two sturgeons in April 1966 they swam into the waters of Southwest Ireland looking for food. Instead, they found themselves in the middle of a story about fishing surprises, rash youth, an amateur naturalist's passion, a president's fondness for a convent, political tensions, delicious irony, and local pride in a story well told. The Dingle Sturgeon Story. Mm-hmm.